You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Pleasure to be with you. Uh, I know it's always different, right? Having somebody fill the pulpit. You're used to Pastor Mike. A little about myself and a little bit about how we got to know Pastor Mike. Uh, I'm a second career pastor. Just recently retired from Greenleaf and Reformed Church, which only about 18 miles away here to the northeast. Grew up on a farm. First, first third of our life, uh, my wife Brenda and I worked for her family business, which was uh, a John Deere dealership, which her family had owned. And we were going to be crafted into, uh, we were going to purchase that dealership when her, when her father was working us in, and he was ready to retire. And back then in the... Uh, the late 90s, John Deere was kind of phasing out family dealerships, and I'd felt the call into ministry for about five years prior to that and just kept saying, no, Lord, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't like speaking in front of anybody. I certainly don't pray in front of anybody, and let somebody else do that. Uh, family was important to us. I don't want to leave family, and that was God's way of closing a door and opening a, a huge garage door for us to go to college, go to seminary, all of that while having four children. And uh, God certainly blessed us in Greenleafton for 17 and a half years. So just recently, uh, as of last summer, we moved to Cresco. And that's kind of our our life story. And now God's using me kind of like back in seminary when I got to visit all kinds of different churches again. And just uh, I look at my role now as just helping other pastors have some time off and to pray for their family. So how did I get to be friends with your pastor? Well, I greenleafed in about seven or eight years ago, and if Pastor Mike is watching, he can correct me. Uh, he and Hannah and their family came to our Easter egg hunt, having been invited by someone who had been to our Easter egg hunt at church uh, prior years. And it was Hannah, and I'm thankful for my wife too because she's always got my back and always looking out for me, Hannah approached me on that Saturday morning and said, I'm Hannah. My husband is a pastor in Leroy. We've recently moved there. And I think he had came uh, December, I understand, of that that year, something like that. And so this would have been April. And she said, you need to get to know my husband. So I moved over, sat at their family table, for 15 minutes or so maybe, visited with and uh, got to know Pastor just a little bit. It was probably three months later when I was nearby Leroy, and I thought, you know, i got to look that guy up. And I unannounced, walked into church, reintroduced myself, and we became good friends, not only uh, a friendship but spiritually to build each other up. And so we would meet about once a month for the next three or four years until our network got a little bit bigger and Pastor Mike kept inviting other pastors into it. And we were like-minded pastors, just grounded and rooted in Scripture. We could encourage each other and uh, blessed over the years with Pastor Mike. So that's how uh, he reached out to me a couple months ago, or no, a couple weeks ago probably, and just said, uh, our family's going to be gone. Can you help fill in? Either that or one of the elders are going to do it. So uh, a joy to be with you. 
passage I picked out, I thought, you know, I could stay with the Christmas theme and then, as Brandon already alluded to, being the first Sunday of the new year, thought, uh, boy, everybody's making resolutions and most of the time we don't keep resolutions very long, do we? Number one resolution I just read the other yesterday again was, uh, oh, we're all going to lose weight. And you know how long that works out for a month or so. And I thought, what about a lifetime resolution? And so my passage is out of First Samuel, and it's the Samuel's anointing of David. And, of course, David was known as a man after God's own heart. And not perfect by any means, of course. But I thought, what a lifetime to a resolution to say, I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want to be a grandpa right now after God's own heart. I, I want to be a husband still after God's own heart. And, and you can put your name in there. I want to be a woman after God's own heart. I want to be a son after God's own heart. I want to be a daughter after God's own heart. And not just this year, right? Not just to say, well, we'll see how the first month goes. But to, to live it out lifelong, whether it's on the farm for me earlier, uh, I'm no different now than when I was working at John Deere, working in the back as a mechanic later on in parts and then in sales. No different when I'm a pastor. We are called to be the same and uh, to grow spiritually as we get older. So First Samuel, I'd invite you. I, I'm using the NLT, so whatever version you have, it's, it's always good sometimes to have a different version to, to see how the, the nuances of words are played out. But I'm going to pick this up, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And this is Samuel being called to anoint David. And, and we're going to skip back earlier into 1 Samuel 2 and, and kind of fill in where this story is going. 1 Samuel 16, beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with oil, olive oil, go to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied. Say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived... Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walked in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. 
Next, Jesse summoned Shemia, but Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching over the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark, handsome, with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Here ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Let's begin with prayer. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that though we are all different ages here, we've come from different areas, we're in different chapters, Lord, in our lives or in our books, some would say. Some are at the beginning, some are in the middle, and some may be nearer to the end than the beginning, Lord, and uh, you know our days. But you also know, Lord, what we stand in need of. And so, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, just come fresh upon us. And might the words of my heart, the meditations, Lord, be, be pleasing to you as you open the eyes, Lord, uh, for what we have to hear from your word today and the truth that it beholds for each one of us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Pretty easy, isn't it, sometimes to, uh, to look at someone and make a judgment pretty quick? You're no doubt you see me for the first time, you're making judgments, so that's why I tried to tell you a little bit about who I was. Uh, height makes a big difference. You can see why Samuel here must have been impressed with Eliab. And recently what I, I read, uh, size, size intimidates. So... Uh, Recently, here's what I read. Interesting. This comes out of Forbes magazine, taken in 2020. So it's, it's the research isn't that all that long ago. Uh, comes out of China. So I don't know how relevant it, it is to our date here. But the research would say that for every inch that you are taller than someone else, annual income is worth 1000 bucks. $1,000 a year. Now, I don't know if that applies to America or not, but it's interesting that apparently size influences. And who of us sometimes hasn't said to ourselves, wish I were just a little bit taller? Especially this week, uh, I've, I've started helping at the grocery store in the mornings over in Cresco, and there's some things on the top shelf, and once in a while, it's like, uh, I wish I were about four inches taller, or maybe like Brandon's size for just, just a day. So when I read this story here, it's like, what was there about Eliab that Samuel saw that he says, 
He's got to be the one. And, and I know right away we can say, well, Eliab's the oldest of the family. The firstborn is oftentimes chosen in the Bible. So that might have played into it. But I'm just wondering, was he also looking back to King Saul, who he had anointed first of all? So let's go back in Scripture a little bit and and see where this comes from and maybe what was influencing Samuel to think that, well, Eliab's going to be the next king. So if we flip back into earlier in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel is requesting a king. We need to go back a little bit earlier even, and, and we'll say, well, who is really the first leader of Israel? Well, the Israel nation well, we'll know of Moses, right? God would call Moses out, and Israel was in Egypt. They were under bondage for that 400 years, and, and God would call out Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. In fact, he would lead them right to the door of the promised land with God's help. Joshua would take up the mantle, leading Israel into that promised land, and after, after Joshua's death, we would read in Judges, there was this whole series of Judges where uh, some would follow the Lord and Israel would turn their back. In fact, we would read that people would do what they saw, what was right in their own eyes. So God would allow Israel to, well, be punished, so to speak. Oftentimes it was by the Philistines. And we would read of certain prophets that God would raise up Uh, There would be those leaders, some of them militarily, like uh, Samson would come to mind, right? Others would be Gideon, and they would follow the Lord for a time, and then when they would pass on, uh, Israel would walk away from God again. And that kind of seems to be the case throughout all of Judges. Well, we get then to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and Samuel is a prophet, his mother would have prayed that she would, when she was barren, she would have a a son. She dedicated him to the Lord. And so we have Samuel who's been reigning in Israel for a number of years. And we read this then in verse 1 of chapter 8. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel, Abijah, the oldest. They hold court in Beersheba. Thing is, we read in verse 3 of that chapter, They're not like their father. In fact, they were greedy for money, they accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. And the elders of Israel, they take Samuel to task, and they say, look, you're getting old, your sons are not like you, so give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. In other words, We don't want you to be our leader. In fact, uh, Samuel's displeased with their request, and he takes it to the Lord. And we read in chapter 8 here, verse 6, Samuel's displeased with the request, goes to the Lord for guidance, and here's what God says. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replies, for it is not, it's me they are rejecting, not you. Ever since I brought them out of Egypt, they've continually abandoned me. They've followed other gods, and now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but warn them 
about the way a king will reign over them. So Samuel would warn those people. And he would tell them this in the remainder of chapter 8. This is what a king will do. He'll draft your sons and your daughters. They will lead chariots and charioters. He'll take your sons and your daughters from you. He'll force them, your daughters, to cook and bake. He'll take away the best of your fields, your olive oil. He'll take a tenth of everything you have, and I'm kind of narrating as I go. He'll take your male and female slaves, demand the finest. He will demand a tenth of your flocks. And when that day comes, you will beg for relief from the king you're demanding. But then the Lord will not help you. And you think that would scare the people enough, right? But no, the people refused to listen to Samuel, we read. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us, for the king will judge us and he'll lead us into battle. So Samuel would repeat these words to the Lord, and the Lord would reply, do as they say, give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. So this first king, then, that Israel has is Saul. Tribe of Benjamin, we would find that out in chapter 9. Saul, though, is kind of referred to then throughout Scripture as the people's king because they were demanding a king who would lead them into battle. Uh, Ironically, they didn't ask for a king that would lead them closer to the Lord. And... Yes, the Lord would bring, he would bring Saul before Samuel to be anointed. So you might say, well, you know, it's, it's God who really choose, chose him, but no, we still refer to Saul as the people's king. So what do we know about Saul? Well, he certainly wasn't a follower after God's own heart. Though the Spirit would come upon him, we would read that in chapter 10, when he's anointed. Look at verse 9 and and then going into verse 10. When Saul and his servants arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. The Spirit of the Lord would come powerfully upon Saul. He too would begin to prophesy. And those who knew him would say, uh, what, is even Saul a prophet? So God's Spirit would come upon him powerfully. It would come upon him even more powerfully in chapter 11 when the Spirit of God, in, and I'm reading verse 9, Spirit of God would come powerfully upon Saul and he would become angry and yes, he would lead Israel to victory over the Philistines. Thing is, Saul wasn't a follower after God. In fact, a couple of instances when Samuel would instruct Saul as to what to do. Uh, Saul was impatient. In fact, at one point, he couldn't even wait for Samuel to arrive, and some of his warriors were defecting on him when the Philistines were right in front of their face, and instead of waiting for Samuel to arrive so that they might have the sacrifice, Saul would say, I I felt compelled. My men were leaving. You didn't arrive, Samuel, when you promised, so compelled I was, I I offered the sacrifice. And Samuel would say, is it better to sacrifice or to follow the Lord? You make that distinction. 
In fact, when it got to that point, chapter 13, verse 14, we read, Samuel tells Saul, but now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So already we see here the Lord's got a plan coming. And it's not including Saul because Saul, uh, he's thinking of himself. In fact, here's how bad it got. And this is leading up to chapter 16. Verse 15 Chapter 15, verse 12, Samuel's waiting for Saul again. And uh, we read, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. And Saul, someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. And then he went to Gilgal. So what does that tell you about Saul? Certainly not a man after God's own heart, right? Man after trying to make himself look bigger, apparently, in everybody else's eyes. Yeah, he is physically tall. We do know that when he's anointed. He, he, the Bible tells us two times over he stood head and shoulders taller than everyone else. So I'm thinking now when it comes to this passage, Samuel is saying, okay, the Lord had me anoint Saul. He stood head and shoulders taller than everyone else. Uh, Important probably in a military standpoint, uh, thinking of later on when David faces Goliath. Goliath is nearly nine feet tall, so size certainly matters. So if you need a commander of your army, I'm certain size would make an intimidation. So we come to this point where God tells Samuel, look, you've, you've mourned long enough. In fact, it got to the point, and three times in chapter 15, we read this, verse 10. The Lord says to Samuel, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king. He has not been loyal to me. He's refused to obey my command. Verse 23, because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he's rejected you as king, Samuel would tell Saul. Verse 26, I will not go back with you since you have rejected the Lord's command. He has rejected you as king of Israel. And then the last verse of chapter 15, and the Lord was sorry he ever made Saul king of Israel. So now we start chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord says, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. Fill your flask with oil. Go to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse who lives there. I've selected one of his sons to be my king. And Samuel would say, how can I do that? If Saul hears of that, he'll kill me. Man after God's own heart, Saul? No, man who wants to protect his kingship. That's what I read into that. Tells you kind of even more about what kind of a man Saul is. Uh, interesting. God doesn't even respond to that. He just says, take a heifer with you. Go make a sacrifice. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show which of his sons to anoint. Samuel makes this trek, Bethlehem. 
not all that far, as far as distance-wise. Certainly a sacrifice is a a worship time. Ironically, Samuel's the only one who knows what's going to happen. And he doesn't even know everything that's going to happen. He's just led by the Spirit. He's somewhat afraid. What if Saul hears about it? God says, no, basically, you just go. You just follow me, Samuel. I got this. He goes to town, uh, leaves you wondering how often has he been there. The town, the elders, certainly, they tremble. Have you, have you come uh, in peace? What's wrong? So his arrival certainly stirs up people in town. And Samuel just replies, I've come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves. Come to the sacrifice. He performs the ritual. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot we're not told either. I mean, how is Jesse told? How is he invited? Uh, Samuel, how does he know who Jesse is? He's never met him. Uh, We're not told any of that. What we can and what we do know is God is in control of this. He's bringing in all the pieces. They're coming into place. And Samuel arrives. Now, just like that, we have... Jesse here, all his sons are there. Jesse's got to be proud. Seven sons. uh, The Bible, seven is the the sign of completeness. Like your quiver, the Psalms would say, your quiver is full. So he's a proud man. He's got his sons. Doesn't really know why they're there, I don't think. Samuel knows why. Jesse, I don't know, doesn't believe that he knows why. And Eliab steps forward. And Samuel thinks, he's the one. Got to be the one. He reminds me of Saul, head and shoulders probably taller than everybody else. And God says what? The same thing you and I fall into a trap of right away, right? We look at people, how they're dressed, how tall are they, and um, do they have smiles on their faces? Do they look like they're approachable? And, And God says, no. In fact, don't judge by his appearance or his height, I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Today, I can't tell where your hearts are. Uh, Sometimes we get a glimpse of people when we know them longer, right? We know where they're coming from. But first impressions, uh, yeah, we often say that, right? First impressions are lasting impressions. But they're not always right, are they? And that's what God is, is telling Samuel here. Samuel, you're, you might be impressed. Yeah, Eliab, he's tall. Might be handsome. He's the oldest son of Jesse. Of course, I know you would think he's going to be the next king, but no, not in this case. In fact... The Lord looks at the heart. There's this whole thing in the Bible, the the Hebrew language and the New Testament, the Greek language, about seeing. Uh, Seeing is to know. And it's not not so much seeing with your eyes, but it's gnosko in the New Testament, the Greek. Gnosko is to know. And to see, and there's a play on words here, I believe, because we see here that the Lord looks. Some versions would say the Lord sees the heart. 
And then later on, when we meet David here, we're told he has beautiful eyes. And I think there's this play on words here in this passage about seeing, and it's not so much about what I see through the eye here, but it's about seeing in the heart. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Well, the Lord knows something about a lie that you and I don't find out about until chapter 17. So I want to have you skip ahead a little bit here. Chapter 17, we are introduced to Eliab. David, at this point, the three oldest brothers of his are out in battle with Saul. Goliath has already challenged Israel. David is sent by his father. Uh, Bring some provisions to your brothers Meet them at the battle line. So David goes there, and we're introduced to Eliab. The Philistine champion has come out from Gath. He's challenged Israel. Um, Verse 27, and these men gave David the same reply. David has asked, well, what's the king going to do? This guy, this Goliath is coming out. He's challenging Israel. And uh, they would say, yes, that's the reward for killing him. But then... David's oldest brother, Eliab, hears David talking to the men. And he's angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demands. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know all about your pride, your deceit. You just want to see the battle. And David says, what have I done? I was only asking a question. And then he walks over to others and asks them the same question. I don't know about you, but when I see and I hear Eliab's response, uh, I I know about your deceit. Seems to me it's like takes one to know one, right? Yeah, Eliab, you you think David is is the one who's filled with pride and deceit? I think that God God knows who Eliab is, and there's a reason he's not chosen as number one. In fact, not only is it not Eliab, we would read Abinadab now steps forward because God has said, no, he's not the one. So Samuel must look at Jesse and say, uh, bring your next son. Well, it's not Abinadab either. The Lord has not chosen him. I'm wondering about Samuel. He must be looking over and seeing how many sons Jesse already has. And it's like, okay, who's third in line? Well, that's Shemiah and we might say sometimes third time's third time is the charm, right? It's like no, it's not Shemia either. If you're interested in all of Jesse's sons, Second Chronicle or First Chronicles chapter chapter two will will give us that whole list of all seven sons that would pass. And we run out of sons. And Samuel must be, he's still waiting on the Lord, right? We're not told all about this, but I'm thinking Samuel's really, he's really got to trust God now. And it's like, all right, uh, Jesse, are, are these all the sons you have? And, and Jesse, he's kind of like, at least to me, if I read into this, it's like, well, yeah, that's right. They're still my youngest son. You wouldn't be interested in him. He's, he's out taking care of the sheep and the goats. What would you want him for anyway? And Samuel says, we're not moving until he comes. 
again, now we don't know the rest in this story. How long did they have to wait? Who goes out and gets David? Who takes care of the sheep? All those questions you and I would ask that aren't important because they're not answered here. I don't know the time of the day or how long it took. All we are told next is this. There's the youngest son, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Jesse sends for him. He was dark. He was handsome with beautiful eyes. Part of me says, wait a minute. Earlier in this scripture, Lord, you just told Samuel, don't judge by outward appearance. It's not about height. It's not about any of that. And, and what we're described here is that he was handsome. He was dark. Uh, I like what some versions say. He was ruddy. He was ruddy. In fact, chapter 17, verse 42, my, my Bible says this. When David was standing before Goliath, Goliath would sneer at this ruddy-faced boy who what we're led to believe is like 20 years old. Ruddy-faced. The only other time in the Old Testament that we read about ruddy-faced is Esau. And Esau, we would know, would be kind of having a, a red complexion, red hair with Jacob and Esau and that whole story. And so some would believe, well, Jacob, uh, you know, being ruddy-faced here for David would mean that he was light-complected. He might have had reddish hair. I don't know if we can read that into it. Uh, being a farm boy... To me, ruddy-faced would be wind-burned from the sun, being outside all the time watching over the sheep. That's what I would read into it, but uh, you can read into what you would like. He was dark, he was handsome, certainly outward appearance, right? But when God says he looks at the heart, here's where I think there's this play on words because it says he had beautiful eyes. And I don't think that means he had blue eyes or he had hazel eyes. What I think that means is deeper than just, boy, when I look at some of you and I look a person in the eye when I talk to them, uh, boy, the eye is the gateway into our hearts, isn't it? When we really get to know a person. Um, Brenda, my wife, sometimes I can say, uh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. And then I can look at her eyes and I say, hon, tell me the truth. I can tell. You are not feeling okay. No, when we look at somebody's eyes, those are the eyes into the heart. And and not just about feeling either. I'm talking about deep spiritual truths here. And I I think there's this play on words then. When it says the Lord looks or the Lord sees the heart, here we read that he had beautiful eyes. And I think when I read this, I would mean that David has eyes after God's own heart. I think there's this play on words. I, I'm no scholar on that, but it just seems to me oftentimes in biblical poetry, there's always these plays on words. And if it's not about aspects of the outside, he's dark, he's handsome, he's ruddy-faced, he's got beautiful eyes, I think there's something deeper here going on that I don't fully grasp yet. But I believe it means that David had God, eyes after God's own heart. And the Lord says, this is the one, anoint him. So Samuel takes out his horn, his horn of oil, and he anoints David in the middle of all his brothers. 
and Jesse, his father, is standing there. And uh, You and I aren't told what everybody thinks of this whole thing, what David even thinks. Um, to have oil poured down your head, running down. Um, it's not really about the oil either. There's nothing magical about the oil. But there is this thing about the anointing. It's a worship service, for one thing. It's God laying his hand on David saying, I'm choosing you. And then the most important sentence out of this whole scripture passage is the end. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. I think of Pentecost when it came powerfully upon the disciples as Christ had promised. Um, was David changed? Yeah, f- spiritually uh, on the outside. I don't think he looked any different. I don't think he even probably acted any different. But the big difference here in the passage then is the comparisons, I believe, between David and this first king, Saul. Because what we didn't read is the very next verse of this chapter, verse 14. Now the spirit had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit upon him. Certainly the difference here is with Saul, the spirit seemed to come and go. It came upon him when he was anointed. It came upon him when he was going into battle. And then later on, this tormenting spirit comes and goes as well. And, and we know from Scripture earlier that God's spirit would come upon Samson. And it, it would act powerfully in a military way, in a physical way. But here with David... Here with David, it comes upon him and fills him with God's presence. Certainly David will wait a number of years before he knows what this full anointing will be and how it will carry out. He'll have to trust God in it all. He's probably, what we believe, 20 years of age. He will wait a number of years before he's even king of Judah, and he'll be king of Judah for some seven years before he's king of Israel, the whole nation, and through that time, he'll, he'll commit adultery, he'll claim before King Achish of Gath that he's insane, and you might say, uh, this is how God's anointed acts? How is that any different than Saul? thing is, through it all, David is still a man after God's own heart. He's not perfect, but he seeks God's face. And I think it's pretty evident in the Psalms that we read. Psalm 23, one of the more popular ones that maybe you've memorized. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, David would claim. I won't have any wants. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His name's sake, not my name, his name. Saul would say, I'm building a monument. David would say, 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If I walk through the valley, shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So God leads. God's alongside of him. At the end of that psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Brandon started off with Psalm 51, David's psalm. After he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he would say, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me but restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He would stand before the Lord saying, I'm guilty, but take not your Holy Spirit from me. Sounds like a man after God's own heart. Not perfect. You and I aren't perfect today. Psalm 139, Lord, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. You know my goings and my comings, but create in me a clean heart, O God. Again, going back to that Psalm 51. So when we read this passage today, uh, how does it apply to us? Because really, I would always ask my congregation a question like that after each, each passage. How does this apply? A few thoughts. Am I quick to judge people when I first see them? Do I really seek to know them better? Do I seek to know them? Uh, are they people after God's own heart? Then I have to turn it on myself and say, am, am I a person after God's own heart? I, I certainly am not the same person I, I was when I was back at John Deere. Or as a pastor, I'm still learning as I read God's word. I'm still seeking to know him more. Far from perfect, I, I make my mistakes. But I'm grateful for God's grace and for his mercy. Uh, what steps then, as we start this new year, what steps am I, I taking to purposely increase my faith? I mean, there, there's one thing to just make a promise and then just to step back and say, I'm I'm not taking any responsibility for it. Yes, I can pray to ask God, might your presence come upon me even more? Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But am I in God's word? Am I reading it, trying to understand it more, trying to apply it to my life? Uh, am I reading devotionals? Am I part of God's family, the church family, where I can encourage one another, where we can pray for each other, where we can build each other up? What steps am I taking? How can I be more like God? My grandmother's favorite psalm was Psalm 27, and in the middle of that psalm it would say, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Your face, Lord, do I seek. So my encouragement for this year when I read this psalm is I'm praying, Lord, that you'll increase my faith, that I might be a person after your own heart, God. That I might seek your face, that I might claim you as David did as my shepherd, that as you lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, and that I would live and strive to be more like Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for, for you, and may God walk alongside of your pastor and Hannah and their family and you as a congregation. 
May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, easy to to judge people. Lord, you would encourage us through this passage to to know people alongside of us even better, to, to know their heart. But then, Lord, thank you for the for choosing me, for choosing us. Because really, Lord, in this passage, it's, it's all about your sovereign plan for Israel. And, and in our lives, uh, we're still not robots, Lord. But you do have a plan for us. And I'm grateful that your plan includes us, that you, Lord, would choose us. Because my pride, as Eliab would say to David, My pride, Lord, would so easily say, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. So we'd be like Saul, Lord, building monuments, saying, look what I did. I I don't need you, Lord. So thank you, too, for the times of life when you've made it difficult. When, Lord, when I've made mistakes and, and you've rebuked me, when you've even allowed me to to experience where even Christ would say on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But really, Lord, you're not forsaking us. It's, it's we who step away. But thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that you would keep working in our lives, calling, putting that seed of faith, Lord, and then helping it grow through your word, through prayer, through the encouragement of other believers, Lord, that we might run this race that you have set before us with our eyes fixed on you, that heavenly crown, as Paul would say. So, Lord, give Pastor Mike and Hannah and their family uh, just a refreshment for this coming year as they serve this congregation. Thank you for the love this congregation has for them. And, Lord, uh, for the plans you have for each of our lives. I'm grateful I don't know what tomorrow brings. But I am waiting for the day, Lord, you return. And what a glorious day that will be. And in the meantime, Lord, you, you have us here for this new year. So open the eyes of our hearts that we might fall fresh on you, Lord. Uh, Thank you for forgiveness of sins. And thank you for your grace that calls us to be sons and daughters of you. We pray this in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.